Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. The Iron Flute, Case 78. Ungo sends undergarments. Ungo, the master of a big monastery, sent undergarments to a monk living alone in a hut near the temple. He had heard that this monk sat many hours in meditation with no covering for his legs. Fugai comments, a benefit for a skinny person, those undergarments must have been inherited from Bodhidharma. Yogin comments, a prosperous monastery is called fat and a poor one skinny. Such materialistic discrimination lacks Zen spirit. When I first became a monk, I decided not to live in a fat temple, but in a little hut like the monk in this story. The monk refused the gift, saying, I was born with my own undergarments. Fugai, good monk, if you have it, I will give it to you. If you do not have it, I will take it away from you. Ungo asked the monk, What did you wear before you were born? Fugai, Ungo is sending new clothing. The monk could not answer. Fugai, where are your two legs? Later, the monk died. At cremation, Sarira were found in the ashes and were brought to Ungo, who said, Even had he left 84 bushels of Sarira, they would not be worth the answer he failed to give me. Fugai, government orders have no sentiment. No one can cheat a real master. Genro, I will answer Ungo in the monk's place. I could show you what I wore before I was born, but it is so large you probably have no place to put it. Fugai, good words, but not likely to be the monk's understanding. Nyogen, some Japanese Zen students think that the meditating monk was cornered by Ungo's words and so kept quiet. What is wrong with his silence? I believe it an adequate answer. To begin with, he was not complaining. He was satisfied with his life. The sympathy expressed by the master of the big monastery was putting legs on a snake. 
Sarira, the sparkling gems said to be found in adepts' cremation ashes, are mere superstitions. Ungo did not actually see them, but only gave lip service to the legend. He is a poor story eater. A good cremation will yield only ashes, whether from monks, kings, or great masters. Genro's verse. Eighty-four bushels of sarira. Fugai, stinky. Cannot surpass one word that covers the entire universe. Fugai, the Western family, sends condolences to the Eastern house. The mother's clothing, what a pity. Fugai, you are ungrateful to your mother. It cannot cover the present unsightliness. Fugai, son of a millionaire, stark naked. Happy Hanukkah. This is, I think, the only time I can remember when the eight days of Hanukkah were the eight days of Rohatsu. And we had a wonderful Hanukkah lunch today with latkes and borscht and apples. So you don't have to be Jewish to enjoy Korean Hanukkah meal. And before that, we had such a Diamond Sutra celebration. What exuberance. What exhilaration. What energy. Didn't you want to dance? Hmm? Hakuin, whether singing or dancing, we are the voice of the Dharma. Who had to restrain yourself from jumping up? I did, I was trying to myself. Wonderful. And this kind of energy, of course, so one-pointed, so all-expanding, has a tremendous effect on our zazen. Did you notice? Fabulous diamond samadhi. This is true not only, of course, for the Diamond Sutra, but everything. The best way to thank our wonderful Tenzo team is Kanji Zaibo Sagyo Jin Hanya. Not like, oh, all right, now we got a chant. This is so important to realize that 
every ounce of our energy that is expended goes out into the vast cosmos. And then what happens? Comes right back. And then what? Goes. We call it breathing. Really miraculous. So this on the Chinese zodiac is the year of the dog. It started February 16th. Edo Roshi passed away February 19th. I think it was on the 16th that he gave his final Taisho at Shogenji Junior College. On the festival, Shoji, life, death from Dogen's. Shobo Genzo. Yesterday we heard Master Tosotsu's Three Barriers. When I was working on that koan for the second time, in Dokson, Edo Roshi quoted the last section of that fascicle of Dogen's life-death. Free your body, mind, and abandon it. Throw yourself into the house of the Buddha. Let him initiate you and simply follow him without anxiety, effortlessly. Then you can be free from birth and death and become a Buddha. Wonderful guiding words for us. Throw yourself into the house of Another great teacher of old Hakuin's Dharma grandfather, Shido Bunan Zenji, who was the teacher of Dokyo Eitan, Hakuin's master, said, while alive, be a dead person thoroughly dead. 
and all will be well. This Soen Roshi calligraphy. To die the great death is to free body and mind and then be truly alive. On the altar is a drawing by Andy of our dog, Nikita. We sent this out as a New Year's card for the year of the dog. The day before Rohatsu began, our dear Nikita passed away. We knew she was reaching the end of her 13 and a half years. She hadn't been eating, as Hokuto said about his dog, that avidity had been so present. And so, little by little, faded away, could barely see, could hardly walk. Yet she was here for Thanksgiving. She was here for the ordination and so deeply appreciated the gatherings afterwards. So the night before, this was Thursday night, we all gathered here for the opening of Rohatsu on Friday evening. Thursday night, all night, she had seizures. And in the morning, we went to vet in Livingston Manor. And she was able to take a few steps outside before going in the car, her final walk in the snow that she loved at Daibosatsu, that she loved so much. And Togon kindly drove us to the vet. As soon as we pulled up, she had her final seizure. So accommodating. Okay, Rohatsu is about to begin. Please don't worry about me. I'm ready. She had a very interesting life. We found her at a shelter in 2007 when she was about a year and three quarters 
And we got her because I was about to leave for Japan and my mother had said, why don't you get Andy a nice dog for when you're gone? He can be cheered up by having this dog. Okay, so we looked, petfinder.com, lots of dogs. But there was one dog, one face that seemed to call me. And we went there, and she had been confined in a cage for five weeks. And we went to the room where they would introduce us. She bounded in straight to me. And I felt just the way she felt. At last... We meet again. I'm afraid Andy had to take (laughs) a while with her to really become his dog. He was very patient. Her first move was to make him lie down on the floor and stand on him, then knock him over in a snowdrift. And she had a lot of neuroses. She had a lot of less than pleasant behaviors. Those of you who knew her in the beginning when she would come to Hoenji, remember. I took her home. I looked in her eyes and I saw such sadness. And we had a conversation, of course, silently, and she told me there had been a lot of scary people in her life. She had been hurt repeatedly. They had taken her puppies from her. She had so much confusion. And I knew those frightening conditions. I knew that violence from my own early days. And I knew what it was to act out. When I was in first grade, I used to jump on all the desks and tear up everybody's drawings. This stepfather was not the person I wanted to live with. Nikita was afraid of men, especially if she saw a man holding a shovel. Her first instinct was to kill him. So walking with her on the streets was not an easy thing to do. Because every time she felt that I might be in danger, she lunged for the kill. Same thing when Andy walked her or anyone else. And she bit people. And we were told, you have to get rid of this dog. She's going to have to be put away. So she was picked up by the animal control And she went to jail for a week. And I was at session, and 
Andy and Mjorin would visit her each day, heart-rending cries. And then we had to go to court. We got her a lawyer to plead her case, to say that we would take care of her. And we got a trainer to train us how to do that. And, you know, it was, he said, fear-based aggression. Maybe some of you have felt that way, too. Anybody want to bite somebody from time to time? Mm. Yeah. Anyway with a kind of Zen spirit. We engaged in creating security through discipline and letting her know she didn't have to protect us, that we could be there for her and relaxing into security. And after a while, she went to many sessions. She heard all of our chanting day in and day out. Remarkable change occurred. Kimpu, you lived with us when she was going through that wonderful change of behavior. Until those of you who met her recently never would have known that she was a killer, right? Yes? Nice dog. Oh, she's so sweet, people would say. Yeah, right. (laughs) So it was a long, wonderful process of beholding each other and being held in this steadiness of love, no matter what. And isn't that what we all crave? It's what brings us to this practice. I'm sure many of you know the haiku poet Esau. After his seven-year-old daughter died, he wrote, this dewdrop world is but a dewdrop world, and yet, and yet, So, yes, impermanence. And yet, tears. And continuing transformation. Mm. 
we have been so aware of her formless presence. The first evening after she died, we went to the zendo. It was very dark. No one was there yet. No lights, no oil lamp. And later, Andy told me, I saw these dancing lights on the altar. Atatipa. You are the light. And I started sitting and I felt his presence taking my form. I disappeared into this. And in Zazen Friday morning, I heard this, this land is boundless without me. This mind is boundless without me. This love is boundless without me. We all know that it's the me that stands in the way of this boundlessness. But it just came so clearly, those words. And yesterday morning, Morning service here. There were red and green lights on the altar. And on Hakuin Zenji's chest, his heart was glowing red. And after I thought, now wait a minute, probably it's the exit, you know, the exit lights shining there, reflecting. I just never saw it before. This morning, no, gone. So as you probably know, in Buddhism, those first three days after dropping the body, The being is quite present. Mind only, quite vivid. So anyway, one of Ada Roshi's favorite words was uncanny. And to lose a dear one and be in Rohatsu session, it seems the uncanny is so ordinary, just the way things are. And I have to thank Scott 
her first seizure was so scary, and he held her. Scott is a nurse. He held and petted her, and she calmed down. So today, we have this strange koan. The iron flute gets weirder and weirder as we go along. And it's really hard to understand who's saying what. What's the koan? What's the commentary? I try to, you know, adjust my voice. But if you didn't look at it on the bulletin board, you probably can't tell what part is what. But anyway... Fugai's commenting, and Yogan Senzaki's commenting, and Genro is commenting. The Iron Flute was compiled by Genro, a Soto teacher, and his disciple, Fugai, had a lot to say. And you'll notice that there's a certain um, difference of opinion between Yogan Senzaki's comments and Fugai's and Genro's. So let's go into it best we can. Ungo Doyo, he was uh, he lived in the 800s. He died in 902. He was a Soto Zen master who was the heir of the founder of the Soto school, Tozan Ryokai. After training with him and receiving transmission, Ungo went to True Thusness Temple and taught there on Mount Doyo for about 30 years. And eventually some 1,500 students gathered at his monastery. So he, as this case says, is the master of a big monastery. And nearby, there was a solitary monk living in a little hut. So we might compare it to, let's say, New York City. We have Trump Tower, the shiny epicenter of capitalism, 56 floors bustling with commerce. Who has been there? And 10 blocks north, there's Shoboji. Three floors in an old carriage house. And quietly, people enter, go into the zendo, and sit down. There's no global enterprise. Maybe tea is served. Just sitting, just offering, just this Dharma net. Soren Roshi wrote this haiku after this Daibosatsu Zendo was built. Yama Suzushi Homo Imaya Nishigashi Coolness 
in mountain temple. Dharma net now spread east and west. So what's your impression of this monk living alone in a hut? Do you admire his dedication? There's no right or wrong answer here. Yes. Yes. Okay. Anybody else? You're laughing at him? There's no one like... All those hours of solitary sitting, such a simple life. And how about Master Ungo? Do you think he is being compassionate, kind-hearted? Oh, this monk who's sitting alone in his little hut, I bet his legs are cold. Maybe he needs long underwear. Probably in China it would be quilted pants, but anyway, undergarments. How about the picture of Siddhartha Gautama to the right of the doorway to the Zendo? I'm sure you have gone into the Zendo and noticed for Rohatsu, we hang this every year, only at Rohatsu. The wraith-like Buddha-to-be. After six years of ascetic practice, Siddhartha Gautama finally sat under a tree with great determination to pierce through all delusions. and experienced all manner of travails. You may take a close look after we finish here. You think you have problems. Check it out. And of course, in addition to Mara's armies, dancing girls. Come on, don't you want to get up and dance? I asked you that earlier. Only one person said yes. Siddhartha did not get up. He sat and he sat. His resolve to sit until awakening to this truth this essential reality. This cannot be named fundamental. Experience. And on the morning, it is said, the eighth morning, 
At dawn, he saw the morning star and said, Can you read? Somebody? Oh, wonderful. Mm. And, the star. This morning, how many of you looked at the sky? Fantastic. And the crescent moon. So how about our own sitting? Things arise, right? Do we banish them? Or do we allow them to show us what we need to see? Do we notice the old, well-worn grooves of Feelings of unworthiness, unlovability, fear. And do we allow the heart to open to our own pain? Not denying, not avoiding, but not indulging in the old strategies, in the old interpretations, to simply see. This is what we mean when we say, may we extend this mind, this heart. You know heart, mind, right? Shin, one character means bold. So we have to know our own struggle and regard it and regard what we normally avoid. And how do we avoid our inner pain when we're on the cushion? Hmm? Daydreaming is very good to avoid, yes. Anything else? Sleeping. Sleeping. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Very good. And yet, then what? Right? You wake up, oh, it's even worse. I've said this before, but at Rohatsu it's even more so. Zazen is open heart surgery. Just rip it, rip it out. 
The concealment doesn't work at all, does it? It just goes underground. Whatever is hurting goes underground. And what happens then? Hmm? Festers. Mm. Toxicity. So we need discipline. This is why we sit these long hours without moving, without speaking, without making a single sound. This is a possibility. To experience this changes everything. Instead of sitting there like... Only I could. <laughs> Next sitting, I'll get a different cushion. Get a cough drop. I don't know. Maybe I just won't go in because I'm bothering people. Yeah, you know, there's so many ways that we can get around what we might perceive as. Severity. Severity is essential because we are held in this absolute we can feel this inner opening and freedom freedom to be as we are, not as we think some teacher thinks we should be, as we are. So this discipline is essential. But we have to be careful not to fall into some sort of cold, repressive sort of view of practice. And this is quite tricky. And you may encounter it in other places. Because what can happen is, like case 154, of the katoshu and entangling vines. Some of you may know the story of the old woman who gave a monk a hut to live in on her property. Yes? She asked a young woman to bring him his food every day. And one day she said, I want you to, when you bring his food, I want you to give him an embrace, hold him, and then ask him, what do you feel just now? Is anything stirring? That's a funny thing for us to even contemplate. But anyway, the girl did as she was told, And he said, oh, this 
dead tree growing on bare rock in midwinter. I feel nothing. So what did the old woman do when the young woman reported this back to her? She burned, yeah, first she chased him away. <laughs> and then burned the hut down and said, for 20 years, I've been supporting this good-for-nothing monk. So none of you, not one of you, is doing this kind of good-for-nothing monk practice. All right? I know. You are not a dead tree on bare rock. You are opening moment by moment to how it is to feel. You are feeling Buddhas, right? Not stone Buddhas. So we might see Ungo's sending warm undergarments for this monk as his embrace. Let's check this guy out. Fugai comments, oh, it's a benefit for a skinny person. Here's this monk, maybe bare bones, withered tree in this hut. Can he receive this gift? And Fugai also says, those undergarments must have been inherited from Bodhidharma. Ungo. Right? Ungo is giving him Bodhidharma's one mind, Zen mind. Now, Nyogen Senzaki then says, a prosperous monastery is called fat, a poor one, skinny. Such materialistic discrimination lacks Zen spirit. He identifies with this monk from his own life, his own solitary practice, his own refusal of the prosperous Zen establishment in Japan, settling here with nothing, living as a stranger in a strange land, right? Poor, shukyo, true practice, alone in America, no recognition. And he says in his commentary, Senzaki says, in his commentary to Case 26 in the Mumon Khan, most teachings lose their richness when they have many followers. How many followers did Ungo have? 1,500, good. Somebody has been following. And he also 
spoke about his time here in this country in 1928 in a letter that he wrote back to his family or to a friend in Japan. He said, I am now sowing some inconspicuous dharma seeds. And I will likewise end my life in this country inconspicuously. But I am convinced that 50 years from now, the seeds I have sown will sprout and true Buddha Dharma will shine in America. That was in 1928. Who was practicing in 1978? Hmm? A few of us. Seeds inconspicuously sown. And now... We just recited Daito Kokushi's admonitions. And he said, There may be a single person among you dwelling in a small hut thatched with one bundle of straw, passing your days eating wild roots boiled in a broken-legged pot. As long as you devote your time digging into this matter, you will never be apart from me. You are a true student of Dharma who requites the beneficence you have received. So you might see the monks Refusal of the gift when he said, I was born with my own undergarments as perhaps having a slight taste of arrogance. I don't need any gift from Ungo. I'm fine as I am. And you also might see the monk looking at Ungo and feeling that there is a bit of condescension there. Oh, the poor monk in his little hut must be needing something. Well, Fugai, hearing this monk refuse the gift and saying, I was born with my own undergarments, said, good monk, If you have it, I will give it to you. If you do not have it, I will take it away from you. Who recognizes this? What koan is this from? Hmm? Basho's staff. If you have a staff, this is from... Mumunkong case 44. If you have a staff, I will give it to you. If you do not have a staff, I will take it from you. This it. Does the monk have it? 
And if he doesn't, will he be able to be thoroughly deprived by Ungo? So next, Ungo asked the monk, here he's showing his true intention, more than just, oh, you must be cold. Okay. Hearing the monk say, I was born with my own undergarments, Ungo asked the monk, what did you wear before? You were born. And Fugai comments, Ungo is sending new clothing. His real intention. Oh yeah? You have it? Let me see. What is your true face before your parents were born? as the koan puts it. So this challenge, this challenge, show it to me. What happened? What did the monk do? Hmm? He stayed silent. And in this case, we may feel, according to this uh, trio of critical people here in this koan, that he couldn't answer. Fugai, for example, then comments, where are your two legs? Hey, monk. Hey, where are your legs? Where's your Zen spirit? Where's your capability? How are you going to function? Are you a stone Buddha? Are you stuck in a Zen hole? You can't even use your legs to crawl out? This kind of thing. Not a nice thing. Silence. Sometimes wonderful silence. Humility, silence. We heard a story yesterday. Just. But in this case, anyway, we're joining in the piling on this poor monk by seeing it from their point of view. And later on, the monk died. And there was a cremation. And among the ashes were the splendid sarira. Do you remember some of you seeing the Buddha's relics in the tour? We were host to it at Hoenji in Syracuse. It went all around the country and the world. So we saw these beautiful gems, some of Shakyamuni Buddha, some of great masters. 
So this impressive group of sarira, gems among the ashes, clearly this monk was an adept. What is an adept? Today, we heard. Does an adept who is subject to only one more rebirth say to herself, I am a once to be reborn? By the way, don't get stuck in all that gendered language, you guys. Change it. All right? Subhuti says, No, world honored one, because once to be reborn is merely a name. There is no passing away or coming into existence. The adept who realizes this is called once to be reborn. So an adept is someone who doesn't have to keep going through the endless round of birth and death. Do it one more time and you're done. So each of us has this opportunity here at Rohatsu Session, right? Really, thoroughly do it. And then Ungo is not so impressed. He says, even had he left 84 bushels of sarira, there would not be worth the answer he failed to give me. was that a question? Do you remember? What did you wear before you were born? We often find ourselves, I think, in Circumstances where we are in a state of frozen paralysis. In, when I say often, I mean in the course of our lives. Some of us have been around a long time. We may remember a time when we were called upon. Come on, do it. Say what you need to say. Maybe this has happened to you in Doksan, I don't know. Uh, well, let's see. It could be, well, anytime you start with, well, forget about it. <laughs> you know, Zen is not a, a hideaway. Solitary practice is great. To have this 
ability to go deep and do solitary practice on the cushion with all of us, with this kind of awareness. Nothing to hold on to. And then to be asked a question. What color is Mo? Huh? Well, Mo is all colors. Mo has no color. Yeah, right? That's why we have the Mo koans. To be fully present in this. Right here. As you are. In this fact, this experience, this form, no abstraction. Because when we can do this fully present in this form, then when we need to act, we act. So we say die on the cushion and then come fully to life. When sitting, sit. When shitting, shit, Master Rinzai said. When working, look. So now, Genro answers in the monk's place. Remember, the monk could not answer. And Fugai had inserted this, government orders have no sentiment, no one can cheat, a real master. So then Genro says, I will answer Ungo in the monk's place. I could show you what I wore before I was born, but it's so large you probably have no place to put it. This koan has very interesting innuendos, huh? The underwear. It's so large. So boundless, so vast. You couldn't put it anywhere. Then Fugai says, well, those are good words. Not likely to be the monk's understanding. Now, Nyogen Senzaki comes back. He says, some Japanese Zen students think the meditating monk was cornered by Ungo's words and so kept quiet. Who do you think those Japanese Zen students are he's talking about? Hmm? Hmm? Who? Well, let's look at this koan. I hope we're still looking at this koan that's so complicated because there are some Japanese Zen students who are commenting in it. Right? Nyogen Senzaki comes to the iron flute. He reads the case. He reads Fugai's comment. He reads Genro's comment. Then he comments. So he says, you know, what 
What's wrong with the monk's silence? I believe it was an adequate answer. To begin with, he wasn't complaining. So you can feel Nyogen Senzaki, once again, he's coming from his personal life, right? His own silence, his own feeling no need to stand out and be impressive. Just sit. Somebody wants to come sit with me? Fine. He had a few chairs in his tiny apartment. He had a few people sit with him on those chairs. So, to me, there is such compassion in what he says here. Going against the criticism that's throughout the comments of Genro and Fugai and saying, you know, the life he's chosen is sufficient. He was born with his own undergarments, aren't we all? Aren't we all just born with our own Zen? However, it may be great wisdom, adequate, fine. Each of us is traveling. Each of us is transforming life, death, life, death. And not a cell is unchanged from moment to moment. So let us embrace, as Yogan Sensaki does, this vast unknowing, this moment as you are, not as you think it should be. Well, the verse for this koan goes into all the criticisms all over again, and I'm not going to read it to you because you understand at this point. What we really must understand from this koan is that whether we are critical of this monk or admiring him or identifying with him, that the treasure is always within. No matter where we are on this path, so-called first time, who knows how many rohatsus you did before. Life, death, life. Awakening to this in the time each of us naturally takes. No artificial urgency in our own way to Behold, this word, 
I have to thank Hokuto for bringing it up because this word is extraordinary. To be hold, to be held by the Buddha, to be hold God, to be in the palm of the Buddha, as I said the other night. To be beholden to all beings. To witness. To feel this vow, this great vow, without which we cannot do this practice. As Hakuin reminded us, last night and to let it shine the Zen teacher and Jew Norman Fisher translated the Psalms in a wonderful book called Opening to You This title alone is really all we need. What is this opening to you? You here, you may say, okay, it's God. These are the Psalms. But what a pity to narrow it that way with a word. Just opening. To you. That's the title of his translations. And at one, for one psalm, one section, it goes like this Come and behold, be still and know. And you will see what no eye has seen. And you will hear what no ear has heard. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.